The gospel lesson comes from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. I like the sun coming in. I can see a lot better. <laughs> I won't even need my readers. <laughs> then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do, now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that, when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes." So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, And how much do you owe? He replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly, for the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest, with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, we thank you for these words, as challenging and as confusing as they might be, God, we pray that your words would come out into this space and fill it and then fill us. All these things we pray, amen. If I mentioned Butch and Pete, would that conjure up any images for you? What about if I added the names Darla and Waldo? And surely, if you heard the names Porky, Stymie, Froggy, Buckwheat, and Spanky, you'd know exactly what I was talking about now. Of course, these are the main characters that belong to our gang, the Little Rascals. For the young, young folks listening, the Little Rascals were a bunch of young kids just getting through life as little kids. It was a TV show that was started in 1922 and went through 1944, and the main point of the show was to show the world how little kids behaved in their natural environment, what was important to them, like getting new teachers at the beginning of the school year, how to get outside and play as quickly as possible playing jokes on each other, avoiding bath time, and for some reason, I always remember frogs and ants and other little critters ending up in places where they shouldn't have been. 
One of the most famous little rascals, who some of you have, met, have noticed that I've left off, is Alfalfa. Alfalfa, with his sprout of hair sticking up in the back, was the charismatic leader who was known for singing terribly off-key. But did you know that Carl Alfalfa Schweitzer was a real-life rascal? According to all of his actor friends, Alpha Alpha was really a bully. If he liked you, he tolerated you. If he didn't like you, he let you know it, and he let you know it all the time. The show's director, Mr. George Sidney, when the show was ending and going off the air, he told Alfalfa that when he turned 21, he wanted Alfalfa to reach out to him and he would get in a cab and find him so that he could legally deck him. <laughs> he wasn't very well liked by any of the cast of Our Gang and the Little Rascals. He continued acting sporadically and eventually dabbled in a hunting guide, as a hunting guide. And on one occasion, he borrowed a, a friend's hunting dog only to lose track of it. And over a weekend of drinking, after um, he paid the guy 50 bucks for the dog, um, he became angry and went over to his friend's house and pulled a knife on him. Unfortunately for Alfalfa, his friend pulled a pistol out on him, shot him, and killed him. The investigation report showed that, that his friend was acting in self-defense, um, but Alfalfa, the, the famous little rascal was also pretty good at being a big rascal. With business practices like he was doing and with questionable partners in business and certainly an untimely death, I think Alfalfa would have gotten along really well with the manager from our lesson this morning, who himself was a pretty good big rascal. It says that he had made a name for himself at being a dishonest businessman. Verse 2 tells us that the rich man summoned the manager and said, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot, cannot be my manager any longer. He had gotten so crooked that his own boss couldn't tolerate his business practices and fired him. And I think we as upstanding Christians with any kind of moral compass, are happy to hear that the rich man took a stand against such an unsavory, unethical, big rascal such as this guy. Our rascally manager is in some serious trouble, though, because his future doesn't seem as secure as it once did. And so he has to stop and think about what his next move is going to be. We get a glimpse of a couple of options neither of which he can get on board with. His first option is to dig, but he's too old for such a labor-intensive job as that. His second option is to beg, which would be completely embarrassing. So dismissing those two options, he comes up with a third, one that would let him enjoy the good life that he had gotten accustomed to living. So he grabbed hold of a couple of his master's debtors and pulled them off to the side and arbitrarily discounted what they owed. To one, he cut the debt in half, and to the other, he cut 20% off. Some would argue 
that he was out to stick it to his boss because, of his, bo- because his boss was going to fire him. In retaliation, he went and had the debtors secretly subtract the amounts. Others would argue that by having the debtors lie about their total indebtedness, they became co-conspirators with the manager, and because of that, the manager could go back to the debtors and implicate them in the transgressions if they didn't take care of him. Still, others argue that the dishonest manager actually made the rich man seem like a really nice guy, and because of that, the debtors would want to fulfill their obligation to him. Finally, some would argue that the manager was reducing the debt by what he would have made from the rich man. He was shaving off the amount that had been tacked on to pay for his wages and was actually watching out for the debtors and was behaving above board. This argument at least sounds hopeful, especially since this kind of business was illegal according to Jewish law. Legally, there should not have been any interest or additional money because law dictated that borrowing and paying was basically one for one. If you borrow a dollar, you pay a dollar. Not a dollar twenty or even two dollars. I don't know which argument is accurate, but I'm pretty sure, based on what Jesus says about the situation, that there's more to the point. In verse 8, it says that the rich man approved of the manager's shrewdness. He understood the ways of pop culture at the time, and that by doing what he did, he preserved his own future. Whether it was in spite of the rich man, or to blackmail, or to make it seem like the rich man was generous, or to offer a comment on the oppressive financial structure the dishonest manager had enough sense and wherewithal to communicate in a way that his contemporaries would understand, and in doing so, was able to create a future for himself when it seemed like he would never be able to do so again. Getting fired from a job represents the end of something. For the manager, it was the end of his career, and we know that since he was unable to perform manual labor and was too proud to beg, getting fired for him was grim indeed. In fact, it would have likely meant certain death. For Luke, Jesus' arrival on earth also meant impending doom for many. The old age was about to end, and through Jesus, a new age was about to begin. If the manager wanted to live, he would have to secure a means of survival. He would need friends to provide for him, even lying and cheating friends to welcome him into their homes. For for Luke, Jesus was ushering in the end times, and so with everything ending... The only option was to do what they needed to do to secure a place in the new age, which could only be offered through one friend. Jesus Christ would welcome them into a new home. What does all of this mean for us? 
There's a lot of discussion in these verses about money and shrewdness and hints of dishonest handling. But in light of the urgency with which Luke has written at the end times, these verses and the lessons contained in them for us seem to direct us, yes, us, to take decisive actions in preparation for the coming judgment. Like the manager, we too must step back and make an honest to goodness assessment of our own situation. What is our accounting of all that God has given us? Have we received those blessings and used them to make life better for ourselves and for those around us? Or have we grown up into big rascals too and squandered them away without using them to share the good news or to direct people to Jesus Christ. In our lesson, money was the focus. It was the idol. But there are many. And we likely each have our own, right? Have we incorporated those idols, like money and wealth, into our lives, and, we, and have we done so at the expense of others, and worse, at the expense of keeping God as the ruler of our lives. What will be our future if we refuse to take corrective actions? If we've stepped back and examined our own lives, if we're not too sure where our future might take us, then we have to reconsider all that we've been doing and all that we've been worshiping more and do something different. Jesus Christ has offered a different future, a different outcome than all the options offered to us by the world. As Jesus says, we cannot serve two masters, and so, church, it's up to us. Which one will be more important? Really, in the end, who will we serve? Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, we know that sometimes our lives get filled with things that distract us. Sometimes those distractions grow and grow and grow into things that we begin to worship, things that take over your place in our lives. God, we pray that you would direct us to a time when we can focus on what we hold dear to us, that, hold, that has captured our hearts. And God, if it's not your son, Jesus Christ, then help us. Give us the strength to step away from those things, turn and come back to you. All these things we pray. Amen.